This is I Doubt It with Dollamore, with hosts Jesse Dollamore and Brittany Page, a podcast dedicated to free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, but most importantly, a good time. Here we are back again for your amusement, your enjoyment, and your hopeful edification. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and sitting across from me, co-hostily, is Brittany Page. That's a new word. You know, I think I just figured out why when everyone talks to the show via email or whatever, or not everyone, but oftentimes... I'm the only one who ever gets talked. Hey, Jesse, this or that. It's because when I introduce the show, I just say, and sitting across, I'm your host, Jesse Dollamore, and sitting across from me is, you know, that chick, Brittany Page. Right. I, I, I don't say fucking co-host. Right. That's a problem. Yeah. Well, I mean, you hate me, so mm. it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Starting out the show on a good note. <laughs> Rational. That's what we like. No, I'm just kidding. It's because you're cooler than me. No, it is not because I'm cool. I mean, I am cooler than you, <laughs> but that is not why. Right. I think it's because I don't introduce you as my co-host. Okay. Well, why don't we you start are, doing that? We are equal partners here. Right. I mean, you do about one-tenth the work that I do. That is not true. But we are equal partners. Okay. It's like the show got purchased on fucking Shark Tank. That fucking dumb show. <laughs> and I, I'm going to give you a little money, but I'm going to take all the equity in the company. Right. You do do most of the work. So you're the Mark Cuban of the show. You do do most of the work because <laughs> you have you do all the editing. You learn about all the technical stuff. All I do is research topics and try to plan for things we're going to talk about. That's right. my only contribution. And, you write, and then I read. And you write the rundown. Oh, no. I'm just teasing. You clearly do a fucking lot. You do a, a lot more of the heavy intellectual lifting than I do. Right. I'll I don't, agree with that. I, I don't want to fucking... I don't read all the articles. I'm kind of a dumb guy. <laughs> I I'm wouldn't go just, that far. But just saying. Yeah. Oh, uh, do you hate yourself right now? I fucking hate myself. As right soon now. as you said it, I'm like, wait, what just happened? My eyes went crossed when I said it. Ugh, you let, can't say that. Let me explain to the audience. Th there are. Uh, th it's the only one I can think of now because now I'm in a fucking rage that I said it. But there are certain words and phrases that I believe should fucking be dead. And just saying, quote unquote, just saying is one of those sayings. And it, and not because of the way I just said it, but typically it's, I see it on Facebook. Someone will go on this, this diatribe or they'll be pissed off and they'll be talking judgmentally about something or whatever. And then at the end of what they just typed, because I, what I feel is I think that they feel too judgmental or, or they want to soften the blow of the, what they just wrote. So they say, just saying. Right. To me, it's smarmy and dickish. I fucking hate it. So if you use the phrase, just saying, stop it. Even though they're probably just using it to try to be less controversial and be a little bit more kind, I guess, to put a kind spin on their rant that they just did. It is kind of like they're brushing off. The conversation. Yeah, I just saying. Yeah, we know you're just saying. You just said that. We know that you're just saying something. Well, it's also the, the well, this is, I wasn't, 
we didn't plan on talking about any of this, but the other thing that fucking bothers me is when people say the phrase, in my opinion. Right. We know it's your fucking opinion. <laughs> we know you're not stating facts that Burger King is the best. Well, in my opinion, huh, blah, 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 blah. shut up. Fuck, we know it's your opinion. Well, there's a way to empirically test that. We're adults. We understand what is fact and what is opinion. We know. Well, no, no. That's not true at all. Well, there are many people. I'm only talking that for you. Do and not me. know the difference between a fact <laughs> and an opinion. I'm talking for you and me. We know when Sean Hannity starts foaming at the mouth on his show. Many people believe everything he's saying is a fact. Yeah, that's because his audience isn't bothered by the fact that he uses the fucking word literally wrong. Yeah. And I don't care. I know. Don't write me any fucking emails about how the definition changed. And how they changed the definition of the word to also mean figurative. Because you know what word means figurative? Fucking figurative. Literal doesn't mean fucking figurative. It means literal. <laughs> Goddamn. That right there is a sign that the world is coming to a fucking end as quickly as you can say the world is coming to a fucking end. Wow. Your face is red right very, now with very, rage. Very fired up. Very fired your up right giant now. giant red beard and your red face. My giant red beard. It is... Listen, I think the audience... The people who really follow the show... For the personalities and not just the news. News. We'll know that I am growing my beard out for a Halloween costume and it is unmanageably long. It's I starting to curl at the ends and I joked that you need to straighten it with a straightener. <laughs> when we went into Albertsons today, I'm I'm on the lookout for someone to who's going to be generous and like give me change thinking I'm a fucking homeless person. Right. And you get randomly complimented by strangers. Oh, yeah. I wanted... That has started happening. What in the hell is that? Cool beard, man. We walked into Trader Joe's. I think our entire existence involves either doing this show or walking <laughs> into random grocery stores. Oh, but, I thought you were going to say specifically going to Trader Joe's or eating something from Trader Joe's. Well, oh yeah, right. Trader Joe's. I forgot about that. We talk the, about that all the time. Our unofficial sponsorship from Trader Joe's. Um, no, we're walking into Trader Joe's and I don't fucking get this either. God damn. We live in a weird fucking world. The world of men is, is the lines are blurring as to what is appropriate and what is, or maybe not what is appropriate, but what used to be something that's weird isn't fucking weird anymore. <laughs> We're walking into Trader Joe's and a guy, I'm not looking at him. I don't even see that he's there. I get this compliment shot out at me. Hey, nice beard, man. Like, yeah, hey, yeah thanks. You too. <laughs> he has a beard. He's a beard guy. So like wearing a beard club or something. I say, yeah, you too. And he fucking, his return line to me is, and I'm not fucking kidding here. His return line is, after I say, yeah, you too, nice beard, you too, he says, yeah, it's growing on me. Uh, like a like a funny joke. I mean, it, not really funny, but trying to be funny. Yeah, yeah, well, it's I'm sure it's his canned line he gives anyone who says something about his fucking beard. But I got to thinking about it. And what bothers me about it is, it would be weird if he had complimented me on my haircut. If he said, hey, nice haircut, man, that would be fucking weird. Or even if I had just a goatee on my face and he said, hey, nice goatee, that would be fucking creepy. <laughs> right? Am I right? Um, No. I mean, there could just be friendly people, no, right? No, no. Okay. 
when it, it, there's certain things that are that are, have become okay for women. Hey, I really like your hair. It's because you guys put effort into that. You go and spend hundreds of dollars to have specific things done to your hair. So it's okay for to compliment one another on that kind of stuff. Men, if he was to compliment me on my hair, it would be uh, he's complimenting me, complimenting me on a fifteen dollar thing. Yeah, great, thanks. I it's just I don't know. It's weird. I, I don't think it's. I don't know. It you just, just you hate receiving weird. you hate receiving compliments. No, apparently. no, I don't. In fact, I think I'm good at receiving compliments. I'm always the one to say thank you. I'm always one to take the compliment. I, I'm not like oh yeah, well this old thing that's dumb. Blah blah blah. I'm I'm okay with compliments. Right. I enjoy them. Please <laughs> shower me in compliments. I'm fine with that. No, no one needs to do that. But if you're a dude. And you think we have some fucking bond because you can grow hair out of your face and so can I. That's dumb. It's for Halloween, dude. I mean, I generally have a beard. Not this monstrosity, but normally a little bit of a beard. Yeah. Anyway, to be fair, to be fair, your current beard is also growing on you lately. Do you mean metaphorically growing on me or physically growing on me? Metaphorically, because you're happy with it. Well, I'm... I'm just enamored and kind of in awe of its grandeur. <laughs> You're in awe of your own beard. All it's, right, this is enough. It just, I, it's getting fucking long. What can I say? I'm not, it's not like, oh, I just stroke it and loving it. It's just fucking the biggest fucking beard I've ever grown. Yeah, it's impressive. I'll say that. God damn. Well, so that dude at Trader Joe's and he did say it too. All right. Well, I guess we're going to move on to our very first one of two voicemails this week. And I, I guess I don't need to do anything other than that. Jesse and Brittany, this is Brett. I am the fiancé of the lovely frequent contributor and swim fan level obsessed Allison. That's a little scary. Um, We are getting married this Saturday, and I know it would mean a lot to her if you wished her a happy wedding day. Um you can play this on the air if you'd like, but I'm pretty sure she just wants to hear it come from Jesse and Brittany. So do with it what you will, but I'm very excited, and I know she is, and I'm sure she's going to be listening to this first thing Thursday morning. Also, in order to not make this completely about me, I have emailed you a link so we can continue the conversation about Beneflex. Hope you have a very nice week, and I hope to hear my voice on Thursday. Thanks. Two things. Two things right away. One, why did Brett miss out on a golden fucking opportunity to do a thick, crazy Boston accent? Because right. he, he's clearly got a little bit of that going on. Yes, he does. Yeah. And then two, way to steal my thunder, dick. I was for sure going to wish you guys I was going to do it. And then he called. And now it's like I wasn't going to do it except for the fact that he called. I even are you hearing this? I, I am. even had music picked out for the for this special occasion. Wow. Yeah. Look at you being super prepared. Well, I there it, she has been a I want the audience to know this that you know there are characters I use that term lovingly not like ah those fucking their characters. I, there are characters who call the show that you hear all the time who I have been friends with 
for many, many, many years. Brett, frequent caller Brett, who we'll hear, hear from in just a few minutes, um, I have been uh, best friends with him for 25 years. I mean, 24 years this year. A long fucking time. So he is a somebody, you know, when you first start a project like this, a podcast, it, it's kind of a deal where the only people who first start to listen are your friends. Right. Well, because you don't have much access to a wide audience. Right. Thank God for iTunes. Yeah, exactly. So so that's kind of your, I, I mean, we really had no idea that within six months, this little humble show would have taken off to the levels that it has and gained international, um, I don't want to say recognition, but uh, exposure. Yeah. And Allison's been there from the very beginning. The very beginning. And we don't know her. We're not personal friends with her. I guess that's what I was getting at. Yeah. She, she's not someone we've ever met. We don't know her. Um, the closest we've ever been to even talking to her is messaging on Facebook on the wall and also listening to her voicemail. Right. So th it's, it's awesome. And absolutely. Congratulations. It's a, it's a momentous time. For in someone's life, yeah, for sure, getting married. Congratulations to Allison and Brett and Brett. Yes, that's awesome. Another Brett. Another Brett. <laughs> Another Brett involved with the show. I don't know if that's going to work out. We're going to have to kick one of them to the fucking curb. Boston and Brett. It'll probably be uh, best friend Brett who goes. <laughs> right. Keep Boston Brett. Best friend Brett goes. <laughs> Well, because Boston Brett's a new Brett. Yes. We want to have a, a new Brett, you a know? A new, fresh, <laughs> fresh voice. Oh, Brett got fired from the show twice. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was low. Uh, he knows I fucking love him. Um, well, and speaking of the guy that I love. Hey, buddies. Brett here. Yeah, I just listened to episode 61. God damn it, I love you guys. I'm better for it. You guys put out good shit. Keep on, keep on. Hey, listen, the thought occurred to me, and I just wanted to share it with you. Uh, in the episode, you were talking about uh, stay genuine as your tagline. I love that, by the way. Um, being genuine, I think, is uh, the way for anybody to be. Uh, and then uh, you immediately started getting into talking about abortion. And the thought occurred to me that uh, I, hadn't, I hadn't really processed it this way before, but I thought it was interesting. So I'm, I'm um, obviously pro-choice. I think most free-thinking people would be pro-choice. Uh, it's not your body, so, you know, fuck off. But, however, I think everybody would agree that uh, the preferred choice would be for life. There are a lot of people out there that can't have babies. Adoption is definitely a more reasoned um, solution. Uh, so it's just, it's just it's a better choice. But, again, not your body, so fuck off. Uh, however, what occurred to me was about being genuine. And the thing about being a Christian or a Muslim or anybody who's, uh, who's shackled by a faith. Uh, they don't have, the, ma the majority of them, I don't, I won't paint a brush over everybody, but the majority of them, they don't, they're not making their own choice on what they think about it. They're not thinking freely about it. They're being told. Their thoughts about certain subjects, like abortion, are being mandated by the confines of their dogma, the, this religion. So, it occurred to me that that is almost by definition really uh, disingenuous. There's nothing genuine about that. You haven't thought it out. You haven't made a decision for yourself. You were told what to think, and you think it with 
well-reasoned research, study, talking to people, heart, however you want to say it. Anyway, I thought it was an interesting thought. I thought you guys might, uh, might like to talk about it. I love you again, and, uh, you know, keep on keeping on. So his call, the last bit of it, which, by the way, thank you for all the kind things that you said. Of course. Uh, listen, <laughs> I, I, know, I know you're leading in here, but I, I do want to say that there are certain people in my life who have been there consistently, lovingly, uh, non-judgmentally, and Brett McAfee is one of those people. I, I've got I've got a core group of friends who are beautiful, wonderful, supportive people, and he is just one of a cast of characters. And I, I am I'm blessed, lucky as fuck to have the the supportive group of people around me that I do. So anyway, you're not fired. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> Right, the love between Jesse D and Brett M is it knows no bounds. Yes, other okay. than sexual, it it does not know sexual bounds, but all other bounds, it it, it knows. Okay, that's great. So his <laughs> just call, saying, I'm just saying. Right. So his call reminded me of where he was talking about people being genuine and people being programmed to think a certain way because of where they come from and not really thinking it through as to why. It reminded me of some morality research. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. I'm going to talk about research I, again. Listen, I think everybody loves it. For all the feedback I've been getting, whether it be through text or through email or through the page, um, they fucking love it. Okay, good, because I'm not going to stop. So I hardly have any time at all to do fun reading, but I'm forcing myself to because this is really fun reading for me. Is this John Hyde's book? Yeah, and it's called The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. Still would be a good get for the show. And it gets into some of Jonathan Haidt's morality research and where people draw the line about what's right and wrong and kind of how they decide those things. And... I'm going to read a story, and this is one of the stories that he reads to people and asks them to tell him if the people in the story did anything morally wrong. Morally wrong. Right. Okay. That's, that's the thing you're trying to determine is, is there a morally wrong action here? I will be the, I will be the arbiter. I will be the adjudicator here. Read the story. Right. A family's dog was killed by a car in front of their house. They had heard that dog meat was delicious, so they cut up the dog's body and cooked it and ate it for dinner. Nobody saw them do this. That's it? That's the story? Right. God, that's a, what a great story. So um, did the family that ate the dead dog that was killed, yeah. did they do something morally wrong? No. Without, yeah. without equivocation, fucking no, no. You are in the vast minority of people. Well, because what's, what's immoral about it? Well, that's the thing. Most people have an initial flash of disgust when they hear this story, right? Because in our in our culture, we are not accustomed to people eating dogs, especially not family dogs. And people develop attachments to dogs. Okay. They become a part of their family. Sure. So some people have reactions like, well, it would be like eating a family member. Well, that I don't know here. Let me let me clarify. When I say I don't believe what what they did was immoral, it doesn't mean that I would do the same thing. Oh, I don't know that I could eat a dog. Right. But I don't fucking... Ju Look, there's all kinds of cultures all over the fucking planet that eat dogs and cats. It, 
Right. So is that are are the all of the Koreans who eat dogs are they immoral? No, they're it's a cultural difference. Right. And so that's kind of the point is that we have been trained to think a certain way about moral issues and we have an immediate initial reaction which the majority of Americans will say that yes this is morally wrong because they're trained to think right. we don't eat dogs, that's wrong, but they when pushed for an answer, they start saying things like, well, the dog meat will make the family sick and they have to say, well, no, it didn't make the family sick. You can't make things up in this story. Right. The story is what it is. <laughs> and, you know, they try to inject their own judgments into it to make it fit with their worldview. Right. Because they can't accept it has to be morally wrong. There's... Are, are there others? Yes. This is great. A man goes to the supermarket once a week and buys a chicken. But before cooking the chicken, he has sexual intercourse with it. Then he cooks it and eats it. You mean a dead chicken? Right. Just like a whole fryer? Right. Okay. I don't think what kind of supermarket in America would he be buying a live chicken? You didn't say America. This is done on Americans. Okay, okay. Here. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Hey, listen. I'm I'm listening to what you say. Um, morally wrong? No. Weird? Yeah. Yeah, and so a lot of people in America view morality from a harm standpoint. Is it harming somebody? What's interesting about these two stories is that there's no harm being done to anybody else, but people still judge it as morally wrong. Maybe I should not go crazy with my answer right away and let the audience kind of reflect on, because I'm not even giving anybody a chance to digest. I'm just fucking ah, what I think. So Yeah, well, you're kind of a turd like that. So I am definitely a turd. Just saying. I like this section of the book where he kind of explains what goes on in people's head when they're trying to get through these big moral questions and, and determine if these stories well, are illustrating something that's morally wrong. Let's. Let, I'm sorry. I know you you have an order and you're fucking very A type and you don't like to be fucking distracted. But let's go back. Why? Why would someone think that him having sex with an inanimate object? That he's going to cook and eat, why would that be morally wrong? I, I don't. Because disgust. Oh, when people okay. feel disgust over an action, it overrides their ability to think D rationally, kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. So because the story was so, ugh, he's having sex with a chicken, what a freakazoid, you know, th that reaction makes them think that it's morally wrong, even though, well, he's not really hurting anybody, so why are you giving that answer? And then they kind of search for an answer to make it fit with their worldview. Yeah. And so that's why I like this quote that he has where he says, instead, they kept searching for another victim. They say things like, quote, I know it's wrong, but I just can't think of a reason why. They seemed <laughs> to be morally dumbfounded, rendered speechless by their inability to explain verbally what they knew intuitively. Yeah, that's awesome. Which I really like because... By the way, if you want to get this book, it's called The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. And I believe you spell his last name H-A-I-D-T. Is that right? Right. H-A-I-D-T. Jonathan Haidt. It's awesome. Uh, this is it's all very fascinating to me that um, people have visceral, emotional strong reaction to things that they really can't even explain. So I have another story and they give an example of the experimenter reading the story to the individual and then the person kind of working through their moral reasoning yeah, just yeah. to kind of give everyone a firm example of it. So the story 
is this, and it's a little bit longer than the two I read, and this one is about incest. Mm. Julie and Mark, who are sister and brother, are traveling together in France. They are both on summer vacation from college. One night, they are staying alone in a cabin near the beach. They decide that it would be interesting and fun if they tried making love. At the very least, it would be new experience for both of them. Julie is already taking birth control pills, but Mark uses a condom too, just to be safe. They both enjoy it, but they decide not to do it ever again. They keep that night as a special secret between them, which makes them feel even closer to each other. So what do you think about this? Was it wrong for them to have sex? My no. Oh, okay. <laughs> We're going to go through the interview. This will give people kind of an opportunity to think about their own moral reasoning and what they think. And going through the interview process will kind of be interesting. All too. right. Let's hear it. So the interview set the interviewer says. So what do you think about this? Was it wrong for Julie and Mark to have sex? The subject says, yeah, I think it's totally wrong to have sex, you know, because I'm pretty religious and I just think incest is wrong anyway. But I don't know. The experimenter says, what's wrong with incest, would you say? The subject says, um, the whole idea of it. Well, I've heard, I don't know if this is even true, but in the case, if the girl did become pregnant, the kids could become deformed most of the time in cases like that. <laughs> the experimenter says, but they used a condom and birth control pills. The subject says, oh, okay, yeah, you did say that. The experimenter says, so there's no way they're going to have a kid. Subject, well, I guess the safest sex is abstinence, but um, uh, I don't know. I just think that's wrong. I don't know. What did you ask me? <laughs> wow. Was it wrong for them to have sex? Subject, yes, I think it's wrong. Experimenter, and I'm trying to find out why. What do you think is wrong with it? Subject, uh, let me think about this. How old were they? <laughs> Experimenter, <laughs> they were college age, around 20 or so. Subject, oh, looking disappointed. I don't know. I just, it's just not something you're brought up to do. I just not, well, I mean, I wasn't. I assume most people aren't. I just think you shouldn't, I don't know. I guess my reason is um, you're not brought up to do it. You don't see it. It's not, I don't think it's accepted. That's pretty much it. Wow. <laughs> so this gives an example of people's difficulty yeah. in searching for an answer. You can see that he, you know, the the subject tried to ghost to say, well, they could get pregnant. Well, we already talked about how that wasn't going to happen. So right. the deformed thing isn't an answer. And just they keep searching for things to kind of confirm their worldview. Well, again, because we, we're now right now we're talking about and I want the audience to really recognize this. We're talking about what's moral and what is immoral. And in this case, I've heard that before. We've talked about that specific one before. So, and I think my initial reaction was yes. But then, you know, upon further in, uh, examination, I don't know if it's immoral. I think it's fucking weird. Yeah. It's definitely weird. Because I think that we are genetically programmed not to have sex. Because genetically, and, you know, we are, we have sex to procreate. That's kind of the, the biological determinism of it. Of that attraction. Although humans are a little different. We don't, we have sex for pleasure. Other animals really don't. Uh, other, other non primates. So I still, for some reason, I'm programmed. I do think it's weird, super fucking weird, but I don't know about immoral. I think that's a stark. Right. Murdering someone else, easy, fucking immoral. Because of the harm. Because you're hurting someone else. But they consensually did something weird together. Right. 
<laughs> and they take the harm out of it by saying they both felt good about it. Yeah. Agreed not to do it again, not yeah. to tell anyone else about it, which means also that they're not going to harm other people by exposing their right grossness or whatever. Weirdness. <laughs> we're, go- we're going with weird on this one. Yeah, weird. And... <laughs> So they write it in a way which really does make you struggle with the answer because we know intuitively that incest is something that should not be accepted. Right. And then when no one's really being harmed in the situation, which is where we base our morals, we're kind of confused and don't understand how to answer the question. Mm -hmm. So anyway, very interesting stuff. For sure. And just it's a lesson in really thinking about where you get your beliefs, why you believe what you do. Yeah, yeah. And not just having knee-jerk reactions to things. So about three weeks ago, we talked about a story that there were hundreds of clergy throughout North America, or at least the United States and Canada, who were losing their faith. And we talked about a website called clergyproject.org that is kind of a... I don't want to say a clearinghouse, but it's a, it's a, it's kind of a group spot for those who are out and those who are still secret, but, um, losing their faith or have lost their faith and are still in the ministry. And this was September 15th. So episode 55 for those of you who want to go and, and check it out. And then about a week ago, there's a story in the news about, um, a, a pastor of a, of a, one of Canada's largest churches who just came out and said his name is, is his name is Bob Ripley and he came out saying that he has he's lost his faith. So, with us today again becoming friend of the show is Dr. Ryan Bell. You may know him from A Year Without God and he has had a film crew following him uh, the last few months and I thought he might be able to give us some insight into this because it is a curious question that ethics and morality kind of butt up against. How are you doing, Ryan? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, so I, I specifically, when we talked about this a few weeks ago, I, I, wanna, I, I mentioned your name, and then we've been, we've been trying to connect, and it's, although we only live like 30 miles apart, <laughs> it's been absolutely we impossible. Even, we can't even get on the phone together. <laughs> right. So I, I'm very I'm very interested in this because there's kind of two ways to look at a pastor who has lost or is readily losing his faith, his or her faith, that that it's unethical to stay in the position and to counsel people um, using the Bible that you don't believe in. So it, in one respect, it could be considered unethical, I believe. But then on another, if you believe like me, all that shit's fake anyway, so you're really not hurting anyone if you're giving good, sound advice to to have them structure their life around. What, what do you think? I mean, this is a really important question and something I certainly wrestled with in the, I would say, the last four to five years of my professional pastoral ministry. I was little by little coming to realize the depth of the questions that I had. And it was always a question for me of how do I fulfill my fiduciary responsibility to the congregation? And by that, I mean, they want to hear a sermon that's uplifting. They want pastoral care. They want community and, you know, strengthening of their children's beliefs and faith. Right. 
and at the same time being true to myself. And I always felt like it wasn't my job to lay on my congregation all of the problems and questions and doubts that I had. Because, you know, we're all at a different place in our in our journey. I remember, um, you know, during seminary reading um, M. Scott Peck's book, The Different Drum. And the best part of that book is a little part in the middle that talks about um, the four stages of faith or the four stages of faith development. And, and the thing that stuck with, well, several things started with, stuck with me from that reading, but one of them is that everybody's at a different place in their faith. And the goal of any sort of mentoring or coaching or pastoral ministry is to help people move to the next step. But we often, what we want to do is bring them to where we are. Hmm. And yeah. in reality, we got to where we are by going through a variety of stages, not all at once going to where we are. So we, we do a little bit of violence to people by by saying, you know, I know yesterday you hadn't considered this possibility, but did you realize that the Bible is full of problems and errors? And, you know, so so I think, you know, compassionate ministry for me was about not just laying on people all of my intellectual questions, but really helping them grapple with their questions and where they were at. And that's difficult because everybody's in a different place. So for me, I was trying to maintain that tension, that balance between being true to myself and not sort of like perjuring myself, if you will, in front of my congregation by claiming things that I didn't really believe. And at the same time, being uh, able to discharge my duties as a pastor. For example, um, I came to the place where I really didn't think, or at least I wasn't convinced that Jesus was going to return visibly and literally to the earth to set up God's kingdom, which was a, which is a very, you know, central belief to the Adventist church that I was a part of. It was a big thing to the the flavor I was a part of too. So <laughs> yeah, and so I just instead of standing up in front of my church and saying, "Guess what, guys? I don't believe in that anymore," I just by silence I stopped talking about it in that way hmm. and just started referring to um, God's kingdom as more present now, which is more a liberal theological interpretation of eschatology. It's more of a uh, this idea that. The, the coming of Jesus is more metaphorical. It's not so much literal. The idea is that every time we do something in Christ's name, anytime we help the poor or, you know, serve the weak or walk alongside someone who needs our support, you know, we are sort of the presence of Christ to that person. And this is the way in which we, I guess, the way that God is manifest in the world instead of this grand cataclysmic Right. Second coming. Let me ask you this. Under what kind of, and I'm using air quotes here, it's great to do phys- hand movements when you're talking on into a mic on the radio. Um, right. what, uh, what kind of contractual obligation did you have relative to teaching the tenets of, or the doctrines specific to the Seventh-day Adventist Church? I mean, were, well, were, you, were you running far afield from what the, the official stances i was yeah to be honest i was but i was always a reformer you know i was always and and i think there are people like this like i just got finished reading lloyd gearing's latest book which is really a collection of uh lectures that he had given before it's called reimagining god 
And you well, let me say this. <laughs> this is off track, but you have a goddamn uh, voracious appetite for reading. I, I I follow your Goodreads posts on Facebook, and it is <laughs> remarkable the amount of words you're putting down. Well, I, and the funny thing about that is I, I feel badly that I haven't read more because this year I, I had so – I mean, when you delve into all of the aspects of religion and various religions and unbelief and there's psychology and science and sociology. I mean, there's just the whole science of evolution. I haven't yeah. even scratched the surface. So, yeah. You know, so I'm much more of a philosopher theologian. So my exploration of atheism has been much more in the philosophical and theological categories rather than science. Like I'm not, um, I know that a lot of people arrive at atheism through science. Yeah. Um, I, that's hasn't that wasn't my doorway into this per se sure you know so everybody's got their own their own thing so yeah i just you know so there are theologians there's a there's a pastor up in canada named greta vosper um who's still a pastor in the united church of canada and she's out as an atheist which this will come back to your ethical question um and several members of her congregation still believe in a, a theistic god Others believe in more of a metaphorical. They use the word God, but they don't mean it literally. Other people just don't like the word God at all. People all of all different stripes, you know, in her church. But they're still meeting. They're still doing liturgy, though it's not tied to uh, the Bible necessarily. Um, so it's very, it's it's a weird place for the church to be in for reformers, people like Lloyd Gearing in New Zealand, who's now 95 and been doing this work for his entire career, really. Um, in the Jesus seminar and really examining the historical Jesus and all of that. People like Greta, others like Bishop John Shelby Spong, who's been, you know, raising these kinds of questions for a long time. In a similar but less dramatic way, I was always trying to say, uh, there's a different way to think about these old tenets of the faith, not so much literally, but more metaphorically. Right. Well, let me ask you this. Because we, we've kind of skirted around it, I guess, because I'm a guy who I like answers. I don't, you know, I, you, you're very, you're, you're very thoughtful and, um, the, the, the asshole in me wants to say noncommittal, but I, that's not it with you. You're just, you're, you're, you're so much more an intellectual than me and so much smarter than me in so many ways that you're able to parse these things out and not really take a strong stance. And I, for me to feel good, I need kind of a, a yes or a no. So give me the best yes or no that you can. Right. It's not really a yes or no, but do you think it's ethical? Because I'm getting the message that you kind of do to be an undercover atheist while teaching Christian theology. No, see, that's going too far, I think. I mean, I know that, and I, I would never want to pass judgment on anybody that's trying to support their family in navigating these really, really difficult waters. But all things being equal, I think it's there comes a point at which your personal worldview and the worldview that you're being asked to teach on Sunday morning are so different that the ethical requirement is really that you have to say, I, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I, I think for me, the I still was holding on to theism. I was just interpreting some of the things much more liberally, and I was making the argument that this was still that. And I could still do it. Well, there I are think at, at I some point. Traditionally, even uh, like our founding fathers weren't weren't traditional Christians like modern day people assume that they were. 
Right. They were deists. Right. It, it wasn't, it wasn't like it is today. And I, I it's just, it's confusing to me how it, it, we have, we have come so far, um, intellectually and the, the compendium of knowledge that we have, but yet we've, we slowly decreased the size of the box with which religion can fit inside of. Right. Yeah. It, it is really, I mean, I think we are reaching a, uh, I don't know what to call it, like a tipping point where the the growth of our knowledge and the box, as you say, of, of religion, I think we're hitting a crisis point. And I, I think the clergy project sort of points to that, anecdotally at least, that there are more and more pastors that are really having trouble figuring out um, how to navigate their way forward. I hope most of the people that are still in the pulpit are actively looking for a way out rather than just staying in that gig and just doing it yeah um, my my sort of uh commitment to authenticity and it's not even really I'm, that makes me sound like a hero like i just have this <laughs> that, that i just have this thing inside me that doesn't let me be inauthentic for more than like 10 minutes like i just it's so hard for me that's awesome because i've been talking about being genuine on the show for the last several episodes kind of as a ron burgundy sign off you know fucking be genuine everybody and I was talking to Brett, my best friend, the other day and saying it would be so great if everyone was genuine and in another way that people don't think about, it would be even greater if everyone was genuine because then you would know who the assholes are. Well, it's interesting. You know, I read uh, – you probably did too – Sam Harris's little essay called Lying. Yeah. Uh, or On Lying or whatever it was. Anyway, I mean he really he really messed with my head a little bit in that little book. I, I – uh, I realized, and I think everybody that reads that essay realizes how many lies we tell well, every he's, day. He's a little strident about it. I, a little, yeah. Like, you know, my girlfriend just told me a whole string of lies the other day in order to surprise <laughs> me for my birthday. Right. You know, and I mean, there were some doozies in there. Like, I bought it hook, line, and sinker, and she surprised the hell out of me. But she wouldn't have been able to do it without some pretty bold lies. You and know? Sam Harris would believe that that was unethical. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, he's a little bit, I mean, Sam's a little bit, and you can see it in his other viewpoints as well. He's, he's not the most nuanced guy. He's, he's more of a black and white kind of thinker. And yeah, I, I just think that's temperamentally some people are that way. Well, I think but, he's, I think he's black and white. Yeah. You, you know, I, th I think even whether he's black or not, white or not isn't really black and white because there are things that he's, God, we're really going down a fucking rabbit hole now. Uh, there are things that he is very strident about. And then there's other things where he, he does have more of a nuanced, you know, right. easygoing attitude. Uh, like, I, I believe you probably would believe that his views on, you know, the Palestinian occupation are very black and white. And I wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, I thought his last thing on, on the Palestinian occupation was, uh, especially like he, he put the transcript of that, that radio interview that he did and then he annotated it on his blog and the annotations clarified a lot of things. I mean, he's trying really hard. I think that the media attention and the celebrity factor for him, it's, it becomes hard to say what you really think because people are going to jump on you either way. Yeah. And especially over that issue. Goddamn. Yeah. And people want to know, like you said, like, give me a yes or no. Like people want to know what Sam Harris thinks because they, put a lot of stock in that. Even atheists who say they don't have any leaders and they don't look to anybody anymore. Like 
than anybody else. Bullshit. We, yeah. People care what Sam Harris thinks. Yeah. You know, they they want to know what he thinks about stuff. Well, I do. But then, yeah, you know. I, yeah, I do too. But it's I'm not really just, gonna... there's not one singular leader because I would want to know what you have to say. And other right. people in the atheist movement who are, who have divergent opinions. Well, and I think one of the things that the free thought movement could do even better at than we currently do is to be able to take some ideas from one person and not all of them. Like I, like I can find some of Sam's ideas very inspiring without subscribing to all of his ideas. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I, I can criticize him in one breath and praise him in the next breath. I don't have any problem with that. I, I'm with you. We have we have spent uh, many time, much time on this show, shitting on Richard Dawkins and his nuttiness when he's talking about stranger rape is worse than date rape and all that fucking they just he's he can be such an asshole and yeah. you don't have to take it's not all or nothing right yeah it doesn't make him a bad biologist or wrong about a bunch of other things you just have to you know and and in some of the free thought movement and where it gets a little you know and i you know i don't want to talk out of school or anything but you know where people start getting on each other's nerves and stuff it's like Someone encouraged me the other day to not participate in a certain group, and I was like, I'm not going to go there, you know? Yeah, I, yeah. I, have to, I have to stay above that. Like, I don't – I mean, sure, I'm not going to speak at a neo-Nazi lecture just because they want to hear me talk. Right. There is a, there's a line, you know, where you're like, no, I'm not going to participate in that. Well, I was, I was on a, a Google Hangout or something with a group of atheists one time and happened to mention that I – I do consider myself more conservative than most atheists. And just, just at the, the <laughs> mention of the word conservative, I was almost ostracized out of the fucking call. And it's, yeah. that's a weird thing because I, I'm rational and reasonable and I have, it's like recently we just talked about abortion and we're not going to get into abortion. So don't worry. But I was saying that, look, I, I believe a woman should be able to have an abortion, but at some point it's a baby in there. At some point, we, we might not be able to determine exactly when yet, right. but, but in 50 years, when we fucking know, it shouldn't, we should be able to talk about that without it being this, th this fiery topic that no one can really have rational talks about. Yeah. So. I mean, I used to teach ethics at a uh, medical school. So, you know, abortion was one of the really difficult topics that we would get into and yeah, there are definitely two sides, and you know neither side wants you to think there's another side. That's right, <laughs> and I'm I'm definitely not for that. So you you mentioned the uh, the founding fathers a second ago. Yeah, well, I was, I, I was talking about how their faith was different than modern day Christianity, and you you no one in the Tea Party wants to say that 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 George Washington wasn't a a firebrand. Uh, fire and brimstone believing Christian that he might Southern have just... Baptist. Yeah, right. <laughs> George Washington was a deist. He was, di it was different. Yeah. Yeah. One of the great pleasures of this journey for me has been reading things that I've either never gotten around to or deliberately avoided because I was taught that they were bad. One being Thomas Paine. And I've been slowly inching my way through the age of reason. Uh, in between other things. And I ran it right as you were asking me this question over email about pastors who remain in the pulpit while they're atheists, sort of undercover. Um, I ran across this great statement. It's really right in the very beginning, chapter one of Age of Reason. And I, I, I don't really know where to begin here, but I'll, I'll just jump in. Yeah. Uh, th this paragraph, it says, 
I do not mean by this declaration to condemn those who believe otherwise. They have the same right to their belief as I have to mine. But it is necessary to the happiness of man that he be mentally faithful to himself. Infidelity does not consist in believing or in disbelieving. It consists in professing to believe what he does not believe. Ah. And so that's infidelity. Like he says, he's like, it's not infidelity to not believe something or to believe it. Infidelity is claiming to believe something that you don't really believe or professing to believe. Yeah, professing to believe what you don't really yeah, believe. That's and, awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, and we talk about integrity and really the root of the word integrity is, is sort of this idea that your beliefs and your actions line up, that yeah. you do what you say. And, you know, someone without integrity does is a hypocrite, someone who says one thing and does another. Right. If you're going to be talking that talk, you had goddamn well be walking the walk. Right. And so I, I, but I think there's a, you know, there's a, there's some leeway for pastors who are stuck in their pulpits and don't have any other way to provide for their families. And I think that's what the clergy project is providing is a way for people to manage that dissonance while they sort it out. Yeah. I, but I think to long term stay in your pulpit and claim and preach from the Bible and claim to believe things all the while not believing it. Well, there comes a point at which that's no longer possible. Here's or, here's where it kind of breaks down for me. It's if if there was a if Tom Cruise secretly no longer believed in Scientology, I wouldn't give a fuck that he stayed. It wouldn't bother me in the slightest. I don't think it's unethical. And I know I'm being kind of shitty here, but Christianity to me is kind of the same thing without Xenu and the volcanoes, you know? <laughs> so if, if Bob Ridley in Canada decides God, he's not really believing at all and he stays, why should I care? And why should I think that's unethical if I don't think the same for Tom Cruise? And Would I know you feel the same way. I'm trying to think of a good analogy. Like if you knew that. And again, this is making some assumptions here, but if you knew a particular pharmaceutical product was harming patients, but you were the sales rep, you know, how long can you continue doing that while you know that this is no, hurting people? That's a, that's a good point. That's a good point because I, I do believe that Scientology harms people and not just because of their wacky, you know, hit squads and all the weird shit that they do stalker squads uh, i mean and i also believe christianity in a way is also damaging because you're you're believing you're 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 learning from a text that advocated slavery that gave you rules for how hard and how often to beat your slave to <laughs> if a woman gets raped her rapist must marry her and and he has to pay the father of the rape victim 50 shekels of i mean God ordering the bellies of pregnant women to be cut open and their, their entrails spewed out on the ground. God damn, that's, that's it is sick. damaging. Yeah. And that there are forms of all religions that are dangerous. And, and I was saying on a Facebook thread the other day, you know, this whole thing with, um, Ben Affleck and yeah, Sam, Sam Harris. We talked about really... it last episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that boy, that hasn't, died down and it's a good conversation it's really made me think and well you just you just turned me around on it i i think that it is i'm less of the opinion that it doesn't really matter because it's fake anyway because the pharmaceutical example is is solid it 
It's a poison well, it's, pill. It's also like a fiduciary responsibility. Like if you're a, a real estate agent and you're selling someone a house that you know has a faulty foundation, I mean, there's there's something wrong about that. You, by law, you have to disclose to your client that the house is not solid and that it's built upon the sand, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I didn't even realize how apropos the analogy was when I started into it, but um, it's not built on Petra. You even have yeah. to take into consideration that, unfortunately, Tom Cruise influences the public. And some people might be drawn to that just because, well, Tom Cruise is in it. That must be a good thing, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately there are some people that think this way. There's a lot. I just think it's important, any type of leader, whether it's Barack Obama or your local city councilman, to be honest, you know, and of course, when it comes to politicians, we know that honesty is not sort of high on the list of requirements to hold public office but i think you know any any leader what people really want from from them is is honesty and so i don't know i mean i think that's part of the hurt that some maybe and i get i'm just guessing some of my church members feel is they probably you know some of them might feel that i was selling them a bill of goods and then turned around and turned my back on it. Right. And that's, that's really not what happened for me. Like I was genuinely in the midst of sorting it all out. And I mean, I think one way of talking about theology, like the practice of theology is trying to make these pieces fit. Yeah. You know, one, one, one way to think of what theology is, is how do you fit this belief system into or how do you fit real life into this belief system and and i i think that some people are doing a really good job of that like if for, well for instance i think that i'm fond of saying that we're more than the sum of our parts you know we you know we are at the bottom of it all molecules and atoms and all of that sure but you and i sitting here having this conversation we know that there's something amazing about the fact that we're here no, I'm and, with you, for sure. You know, so we're more than the sum of our parts. Whatever that is, that mystery of consciousness and awareness and a, b the ability to analyze our thinking and all of that stuff, whatever you want to call that. I mean, so maybe some people want to call that God or they want to call that mystery or they want to call it the universe or whatever they want. If, if you want to put that label on it, fine. Um, but just be honest about what you're calling it or what you're talking about. That is awesome. Well, good. Hey, listen. <laughs> The other mantra we have on the show is about moving the conversation forward, and that is exactly what I think just happened. Because we may not have solved the world's fucking problems, but we certainly talked about it, and hopefully there's conversations that are going to be happening in living rooms across the country and the world, you know, in, in the living rooms of, of my of my audience. <laughs> Kicking the can down the road with Dolomar. Yeah. Well, hey, that's uh, maybe that's my next show. <laughs> when, when I get fired by Brittany from this one, right? <laughs> Sweet. So thanks for joining us, Ryan. I did want to. I did want to mention that uh, there has been a little activity on the Year Without God film Twitter account, and um, like they, they. I don't know if you run that or if it's the film people, but they they followed me recently. Oh, good. No, is, I don't run that. Is that uh, is that coming together, or is there anything else you wanna you wanna plug? Well, it's coming together. There'll probably be a. Indiegogo campaign here in the near future where people can help us. Oh, um, nice. So far, we're, you know, we're all doing it out of our pockets and it hasn't cost us much yet. Travel is the main thing so far. Sure. Um, there's been a few things that they haven't been able to travel with me to because of that. But, 
um, you know, the expensive parts coming up, you know, the editing and all of that. They're going to follow me through the end of the year and probably into the new year, you know, kind of what my inner, you know, sort of interim conclusion is at the end of the year and, and then kind of the re- repercussions of that or the consequences of that or, yeah. um, I, you know, my, one of my conjectures has been that the Christian media has been, or my, and even just Christians in general have been fairly silent and patient with me just because I haven't declared myself an atheist. Do you, do you think it's silent and patient or do you think it's on pins and needles that, oh shit, maybe he's going to really turn and that's going to be bad for our team? Yeah, it might be pins and needles. I, I, I just think like when, so, uh, the news recently broke about, um, Bart Campolo and, you know, Christianity Today didn't have, you know, the most complimentary, uh, right, article right. about him. And, and, you know, he's in the news because he made it, made it clear what he's doing. He's the new, actually, he's the new humanist chaplain at, uh, USC, as, um, probably many of your listeners already know, which is great. And he's a wonderful person and his wife is, amazing and i'm really happy to know them and we have made you know preliminary gestures at working together on something who knows what yeah that's awesome but yeah i think when you make an announcement hey i was this and now i'm this then that gets a lot of uh buzz and i think you know my the way i did my thing like which I didn't realize it was even a thing until it became a thing, uh, was to say, like, I'm going to chronicle the process of trying to determine what I think. Um, if, if and when I come, I mean, which I will, I'll come to the point where I say, you know, at the moment, my best guess is that, you know, this is what it is. That, you know, who knows if that becomes um, more newsworthy. It's been interesting to observe, too, that I haven't been... Um, I've been a little untouchable on both sides, you know, because I'm not. You're not a firebrand, man. I'm not a clear Christian and I'm not a clear atheist, you know, and yeah. so it's it's hard to it's hard for anyone to really say, hey, let's have him come speak at our conference, you know, or have him talk, you know. So, I mean, it, it's I'm just in this little bit of this no person's land, if you will. <laughs> Listen, I, when we started this show, I talked about it several times in the onset and. Because I'm, we're, we don't take stances that are super crazy right, right wing or super crazy left wing. You get kind of lost in the shuffle because it's the assholes like Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh who get the headlines from the dumb shit they say. It's not guys yeah. who are like trying to be reasonable and kind of talk about stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's where I think, you know, the, the NPR station in, in LA, I forget which one it is, uh, does this show called Left, Right and Center. Hmm. And, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of it before, but they'll, t- they'll pick a, you know, a political topic and they'll have, uh, someone on the left, someone on the right, and someone kind of in the center. And they'll have this really great conversation about immigration, for example. Yeah, that's or, great. Or gun violence and gun control, or they'll, you know, or they'll talk about these issues that are pretty polarizing and, and challenging, but they'll talk about it from left, right, and center. And it's a respectful debate and you actually learn something, which I think, in this polarizing conversations that we often have, nobody's really learning anything. And, and people are just afraid that if they give an inch, they're going to have to give a mile. Yeah. You yeah. know, Justin Schreiber, you know, Justin Schreiber, the philosopher, he does a lot of debates. I don't. 
yeah, I, I follow him on Twitter and and stuff, and he's he's really sharp, and he he's done he's an atheist who's done some debates, but what I like about him is that when a Christian makes a point that he can agree with, he says, you know, that's a really good point, and honestly, we don't know about that, but here's what I would say, and he has his rebuttal, but it's it's not like he can't admit. Anything, you know what I mean? It's yeah. sort of like Republicans can't admit that Democrats have a point because they feel like they have to give up the farm. And Democrats can't admit that Republicans might have a point because they feel like they might have to give up the farm if they do that. And so it's just, you know, it's all or nothing, kind of like what you were talking about with abortion. Yeah. And to me, the truth is somewhere between these polls, you know, it's somewhere between like, yes, women have a right to dictate what happens to their own bodies. And yes, there is a pre-human being in there, you know? And yeah. I don't know where the line is and I don't know how to solve that problem, but it is a problem. Yeah. It's, we're all about that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I like problematizing things. I think the more that we say, look, this is this problem. It's not simple. Go wrestle with it. This is, this is what the ancient philosophers challenged people to do too. Socrates and Aristotle. I mean, they were, they told their students, you know, go wrestle with it. Well, it's being comfortable with the uncomfortableness is what is paramount. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Because that's just the reality. That's where we're at. Life is complicated. It's not black and white. And it's only yeah. getting more complicated. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. It was nice that we finally got it to work. And I think, you know, I really think, Brittany, you ought to make him give you more, more airtime. <laughs> it's it's tough to break in when I'm running my mouth so much. It is tough, yeah. <laughs> I'm also a little out of it since I was at school all day today, so. Yeah, Brittany's Brittany's finishing her fir the first half of her first semester of grad school. Sweet. And yeah, she's uh, uh losing her goddamn mind. <laughs> what subject again? Clinical psychology. That's right. I knew that. That's awesome. Yes. So, but Love thanks it. for thanks for coming on and Absolutely. uh when when you when your Indiegogo gets going, let's absolutely have you back on, and uh, see what kind of uh, funds we can generate through the the generosity and charity of my uh, my wonderful loyal audience. Thanks, man. I oh, really appreciate it. Awesome, brother. We'll talk, talk to you soon. again soon. Goddamn, he 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 is a nice guy. He really is. It's it's, it's hard, and this is a lesson for the audience too. It's certainly a lesson for me because I do find myself. I get angry, I get bothered, I get aggravated or whatever with people who don't agree with me. You know, you want to be, you want to kind of see eye to eye with people. And when, when you don't, it, it can lead to, if you're not thoughtful about it, it can lead to consternation. Right. He's, Ryan Bell is a guy who we probably don't agree on a whole shit ton of stuff. Or uh, let's not say that. Let's say that we disagree. On a whole shit ton of stuff. Because <laughs> there's still a lot of stuff that we agree on. A lot. Right. So it's it just, it's awesome to me that he, he's, goddamn, he, well, he's a loving, thoughtful, caring, wonderful. He's just, he's solid. You, you know. Also and, very intelligent, well-spoken. Yeah. He's, he's becoming friend of the show and I like it. In fact, I think a second appearance. That makes a, you friend of the show. With a guaranteed third, you're a fucking friend of the show. Right. It's official now. <laughs> This is the official statement. He's getting ready to be the fucking show's mascot. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. We'll put him in a fucking, in a, in a crazy mascot suit and have him fucking have the Dollamore, like the I doubt it with Dollamore logo on his chest. Yeah. Well, he did help you come up with a new slogan, kicking it 
down the road with Dollamore. Kicking the can down the road with Dollamore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that, Ryan. Nice. So speaking of the opposite of good guys, uh, that was a weak segue. Yeah, God that was damn. weak. God, sorry about that, everybody. Just saying. Uh, Phil Robertson, consummate intellectual, gave a sermon recently at a church or this audio was just released where he's talking about, uh, well, I'll let you listen. In matters of, are you ready, sexuality, the Bible said one man, one woman, that's what I made to begin with. For this reason, we have a male and a female. For that reason, those two can come together and be married. And when they marry, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Man marries woman. They can procreate, fill the earth with offspring. You need to stay together just like that. You know what those two will never have? They will never have a sexually transmitted disease. You know why? You know why? They keep their sex between the two of them. They can't catch a sexually transmitted disease. They can't. Biblically correct sex is safe. It's safe. You're not going to get chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, AIDS if you... Man marries a woman and neither one of you have it and you keep your sex between the two of you. You're not going to get ever a sexually transmitted diseases. And the masters of exceptions will always say, well, what about a blood transfusion? You might get a... I'll give you that. But you say, is it rare? It is very, very rare. You say, why is there so many debilitating, horrible diseases Bringing them down all over America and worldwide. Because they say, we're going to follow our orthodox liberal opinion. <laughs> all right, I'm fucking done. I can't do it. There's like a minute and 20 seconds left. I can't fucking do it. Oh, his voice is so ridiculous. You can't. You can't. Well, first of all, I'm glad he did say, well, transfusions. Yeah, go, that's rare. It's rare now. That is rare now. It didn't used to be rare when AIDS first kind of show, reared its ugly head. It wasn't rare then. And the other thing is, and Brittany, actually, I'm not going to steal your thunder. This was your point. Right. I said that the same would be true for a monogamous homosexual couple. That's right. STDs it, don't just spontaneously appear out of nowhere. Well, if, no, I think Phil Robertson does think that anal sex. Oh, no. Is that him or so, there's some other Southern politician or something who believes that it's the act of anal sex that creates the AIDS virus? Okay. Fuck my life. Yeah. So well, plenty of straight people have anal sex. So, so here's the deal. What you're saying is fucking succinctly perfect. And I wish one of the, the those dirty rednecks would have stood up in that congregation and said something. That if two homosexual men get together and neither one of them have gonorrhea, syphilis, chlamydia, AIDS, any of that, and they get together and they have a monogamous homosexual relationship... They're not going to get any of those diseases. Right. That's how that works. He, Phil Robertson is one of those guys, like the, the, the monks who finally discovered that, uh, rotten meat doesn't create maggots. <laughs> <laughs> that it's the flies who lay their eggs and then their eggs become maggots. It's, 
rotten meat has nothing to do with maggotry. <laughs> right. God damn. Right. He he uh what are it's, you going to do with this guy? It's just a little disturbing, too, because of everyone in the audience that it sounded like someone was being violently assaulted in the background of how excited they were about the sexual conversation. I think it was a child who was very upset about what he was saying. Oh, OK. Yeah. Well, I, I expected to hear what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Well, that means that everyone that just heard it on this show is dumber for having heard that. Yeah. Which means I'm, we're not doing our job correctly. I'm not sure if I'm altogether intellectually as capable as I was before we started the show. Right. And the fact that I've listened to that clip uh, several times already means I'm not good with words. Also, I feel like this belief is going to slowly go away now that we had such progress like we did yesterday regarding the Supreme Court rulings yeah. for gay marriage and... Even more rapidly. Right. When we've talked about it on the show, I don't think anybody suspected the 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 walls of homophobia and gay hatred and um, non-acceptance to fall like they have over the course of, of just a, a couple of years. And right. it's awesome. It's a wonderful fucking thing. Taking care of biz. All right. I know you wouldn't expect to hear my voice coming out of the lead-in for Taking Care of Biz. We had a listener submission. One of our international listeners, Marius from, I think, Norway. One of those awesome Scandinavian countries that everybody wishes they lived in because they have the highest metric of happiness. He submitted a video of a guy he said was taking care of biz because he diffused a situation on a subway where no one got hurt. And it was some criminal runs up or some thug runs up and either threatens or kicks a woman. Yeah, he does. He kicks her on the subway. Right. And then a dude standing or a dude sitting on the opposite facing chair, you know, the subways on one side, there's chairs on the other and they both face he jumps up and he just pulls the guy's pants down. And this is where I kind of disagree with Marius because he obviously there was no violence. However, the threat of violence was there. That the the dude who stood up and pulled the guy's pants down to get him to stop was fucking ominous <laughs> and very physically imposing. And he he towered over the dude and gave him the fuck around and this is going to end really badly for you and the guy pulled his pants up and very briskly walked away out of the situation which is awesome i mean it's awesome that that guy has the ability to end a situation without actual physical conflict but i think he was ready for it if it if it raised its head i think he definitely was too and it was one of those we'll post it to the page so everyone can watch it but you can see that they're having kind of a moment where the guy that got his pants pulled down is like am i gonna (laughs) risk this right probably not because this guy's ballsy enough to de-pants me yeah he he definitely thought about rolling the fucking dice and seeing where it landed yeah but he did not he definitely i think he made the right move too i think he did because that dude was six feet 
215 pounds and ready to smash someone's head. Yeah, someone's head would have got smashed. Right. So the official taking care of biz. Which, by the way, I just want to say real quick that I I love suggestions and submissions for this because sometimes I struggle trying to find a good story for it. Yeah. And usually I want positive stories, so don't send me negative stories. (laughs) Well, it's like Allison, contributor to the show Allison, she sent us the nun story. Right. And that almost was a taken care of biz, and we ended up just talking about it uh, outside of the segment. So, so what is the official taking care of biz for episode sixty-two? A cop from Emmett Township, Michigan, went beyond the call of duty on Saturday. He pulled a woman over and noticed that there was a small child in the back seat that should be in a car seat but wasn't, mm. and instead of writing a ticket. He the child was seat belted in though. Right. Yes. Just not in a in official car seat as the law prescribes. Right. So the mother told the cop that she would have her in a car seat, but she is struggling financially and can't purchase one. And so instead of writing her a ticket, he took her to Walmart and he bought her a car seat. Yeah. And there's pictures of him in line of him paying for it. And I just think that this is awesome. Because he he made a great decision and decided to help this woman. And, of course, I'm sure she would love to have put her child in a car seat, but she just couldn't. You know, and I think he it's just awesome. If we could see more of this everywhere, the world would be a fantastic place. Especially in today's day and age when cops are not so fucking good. When right. cops are smashing people's windows in and tasing them because they don't they're not wearing their seatbelts and they get caught on video doing it um or you know everything the Ferguson Missouri bullshit the guy in, in Staten Island who got choked to death it's cops are it's nice when one puts a brave face on and does the right fucking thing right awesome it's also nice when you rain down on my taking care of biz parade with uh, all with of your pessimistic nonsense Sorry. how dare you I, I know you're trying to keep it positive all right great wonderful thing <laughs> wonderful thing in emmett township michigan um we appreciate that cop's effort thanks for buying her the car seat good job <laughs> officer with that we're gonna wrap it dick. up i know with that we're gonna wrap it up listen this has been episode 62 of i doubt it we are going strong and it's because of your listenership, because of your support. At dollamore.com, there's a support the show link where you can you can purchase something on Amazon or you can visit the patreon.com uh, slash I doubt it with Dollamore page if you want to give that way. We love you. We really appreciate you spending time with us every week. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. They can't catch a sexually transmitted disease.